They also now comforted each other that whose lot it was to suffer, even he should have the best of it. Therefore each man secretly wished he might have the preferment. But committing themselves to the all-wise disposal of him that ruleth all things, with much content they abode in the condition in which they were, until they should be otherwise disposed of. Then a convenient time being appointed, they brought them forth to their trial, in order to their condemnation. When the time was come, they were brought before their enemies and arraigned. The judge's name was Lord Hategood, their indictment was one and the same in substance, though somewhat varying in form, the contents whereof were this, that they were enemies to and disturbers of their trade, that they had made commotions and divisions in the town, and had won a party to their own most dangerous opinions, in contempt of the law of their prince. Then Faithful began to answer that he had only set himself against that which had set itself against him that is higher than the highest. And, said he, as for disturbance, I make none, being myself a man of peace. The parties that were won to us were won by beholding our truth and innocence, and they are only turned from the worst to the better. And as to the king you talk of, since he is Beelzebub, the enemy of our Lord, I defy him and all his angels. Then proclamation was made that they that had ought to say for their lord the king against the prisoner at the bar should forthwith appear and give in their evidence. So there came in three witnesses, to wit, envy, superstition, and pickbank. They were then asked if they knew the prisoner at the bar and what they had to say for their lord the king against him. Then stood forth envy and said to this effect, my lord, I have known this man for a long time, and will attest upon my oath before this honorable bench that he is. Hold it, said the judge. Give him an oath. So they swear him. Then he said, My lord, this man, notwithstanding his plausible name, is one of the vilest men in our country. He neither regardeth prince nor people, law nor custom, but doth all that he can to possess all men with certain of his disloyal notions which he, in the general, calls principles of faith and holiness. And in particular, I heard him once myself affirm that Christianity and the customs of our town of vanity were diametrically opposite and could not be reconciled. By which saying, my lord, he doth at once not only condemn all our laudable doings, but us in the doing of them. Then said the judge to him, Hast thou any more to say? And envy replied, my lord, I could say much more, only I would not be tedious to the court. Yet if need be, when the other gentlemen have given in their evidence, rather than anything shall be wanting that will dispatch him, I will enlarge my testimony against him. So he was bid stand by. Then they called superstition, and bade him look upon the prisoner. They also asked what he could say for their lord the king against him. Then they swear him. So he began. My lord... I have no great acquaintance with this man, nor do I desire to have further knowledge of him. However, this I know, that he is a very pestilent fellow, from some discourse the other day that I had with him in this town. For then, talking with him, I heard him say that our religion was not, and such by which a man could by no means please God. Which saying of his, my lord, your lordship very well knows what necessarily events will follow, to wit, that we still do worship in vain, and yet in our sins, and finally shall be damned. And this is that which I have to say. Then was Pickbank sworn, and bid say what he knew in behalf of their lord the king against the prisoner at the bar. 
sins are all lords and great ones. Pickbank said, My lord, and you gentlemen all, this fellow I have known a long time, and have heard him speak things that ought not to be spoken, for he hath railed on our noble prince Beelzebub, and hath spoken contemptuously of his honorable friends, whose names are the Lord Old Man, the Lord Colonel Delight, the Lord Luxurious, the Lord Desire of Vainglory, my old Lord Lechery, Sir Having Greedy, with all the rest of our nobility. And he hath said, moreover, that if all men were of his mind, if possible, there is not one of these noblemen should have any longer a being in this town. Besides, he has not been afraid to rail on you, my lord, who are now appointed to be his judge, calling you an ungodly villain, with many other such like vilifying terms, with which he hath bespattered most of the gentry of our town. When this pickbank had told his tale, the judge directed his speech to the prisoner at the bar, saying, Thou runagate, heretic, and traitor, hast thou heard what these honest gentlemen have witnessed against thee? And Faithful said, May I speak a few words in my own defense? Sura, sura, said the judge, thou deservest to live no longer, but to be slain immediately upon the place. Yet that all men may see our gentleness toward thee, let us hear what thou, vile renegade, hast to say. Faithful said, 1. I say then, in answer to what Mr. Envy hath spoken, I have never said aught but this, that what rule, or laws, or custom, or people were flat against the word of God, are diametrically opposite to Christianity. If I have said amiss in this, convince me of my error, and I am ready here before you to make my recantation. Number two, as to the second, to wit Mr. Superstition and his charge against me, I said only this, that in the worship of God there is required a divine faith. But there can be no divine faith without a divine revelation of the will of God. Therefore, whatever is thrust into the worship of God that is not agreeable to divine revelation cannot be done but by human faith, which faith will not profit to eternal life. And number three, as to what Mr. Pickbank hath said, I say, avoiding terms as that I am said to rail and the like, that the prince of this town, with all the rabblement his attendants, by this gentleman named, are more fit for a being in hell than in this town and country, and so the Lord have mercy upon me. Then the judge called to the jury, who all this while stood by to hear and observe, Gentlemen of the jury, you see this man about whom so great an uproar hath been made in this town. You have also heard what these worthy gentlemen have witnessed against him. Also, you have heard his reply and confession. It lies now in your breast to hang him or to save his life. But I think meet to instruct you into our law. There was an act made in the days of Pharaoh, the great servant to our prince, that lest those of a contrary religion should multiply and grow too strong for him, their males should be thrown into the river. There was also an act made in the days of Nebuchadnezzar the Great, another of his servants, that whoever would not fall down and worship his golden image should be thrown into a fiery furnace. There was also an act made in the days of Darius, that whoso for some time called upon any god but him should be cast into the lion's den. Now the substance of these laws this rebel has broken, not only in thought, which is not to be borne, but also in word and deed, which must therefore needs be intolerable. For that of Pharaoh his law was made upon a supposition to prevent mischief 
no crime being yet apparent, but here is a crime apparent. For the second and third, you see, he disputes against our religion, and for the reason that he has confessed, he deserves to die the death. Then went the jury out, whose names were Mr. Blindman, Mr. No Good, Mr. Malice, Mr. Lovelust, Mr. Live Loose, Mr. Hetty, Mr. Highmind, Mr. Enmity, Mr. Liar, Mr. Cruelty, Mr. Hate Light, and Mr. Implacable who every one gave in his private verdict against him among themselves, and afterwards unanimously concluded to bring him in guilty before the judge. At first among themselves, Mr. Blindman the foreman said, I see clearly that this man is a heretic. Then said Mr. No Good, Away with such a fellow from the earth. I said Mr. Malice, for I hate the very look of him. Then said Mr. Lovelust, I could never endure him. Nor I, said Mr. Livelous, for he would always be condemning my way. Hang him, hang him, said Mr. Hetty. A sorry scrub, said Mr. Highmind. My heart rises against him, said Mr. Emnity. He is a rogue, said Mr. Liar. Hanging is too good for him, said Mr. Cruelty. Let us dispatch him out of the way, said Mr. Hatelight. Then said Mr. Implacable, Might I have all the world given to me, I could not be reconciled to him. Therefore let us forthwith bring him in guilty of death. And so they did. Therefore he was presently condemned to be had from the place where he was, to the place from whence he came, and there to be put to the most cruel death that could be invented. They therefore brought him out to do with him according to their law. First they scourged him, then they buffeted him, then they lanced his flesh with knives, after that they stoned him with stones, they pricked him with their swords, and last of all they burned him to ashes at the stake. Thus came faithful to his end. Now I saw that there stood behind the multitude a chariot and a couple of horses waiting for faithful, who, so soon as his adversaries had dispatched him, was taken up into it and straightway was carried up through the clouds with sound of trumpet the nearest way to the celestial gate. But as for Christian, he had some respite, and was remanded back to prison. So he there remained for a space. But he who overrules all things, having the power of their rage in his own hand, so wrought it about that Christian for that time escaped them, and went his way. And as he went, he sang, saying, Well, faithful, thou hast faithfully professed unto thy Lord, with whom thou shalt be blessed, when faithless ones, with all their vain delights, are crying out under their hellish plights, Sing, faithful, sing, and let thy name survive, for though they killed thee, thou art yet alive. Chapter 7 Now I saw in my dream that Christian went forth not alone, for there was one whose name was Hopeful, being so made by the beholding of Christian and Faithful in their words and behavior in their sufferings at the fair, who joined himself unto him, and entering into a brotherly covenant, told him that he would be his companion. Thus one died to bear testimony to the truth, and another rises out of his ashes to be a companion with Christian in his pilgrimage. This hopeful also told Christian that there were many more of the men in the fair that would take their time and follow after. So I saw that, quickly, after they were got out of the fair, they overtook one that was going before them, whose name was Bayans. So they said to him, what countryman, sir, and how far go you this way? 
He told them that he came from the town of Fair Speech, and he was going to the Celestial City, but told them not his name. From Fair Speech, said Christian, are there any that be good that live there? Yes, said Byans, I hope. Pray, sir, what may I call you? asked Christian. Mr. Byans said, I am a stranger to you, and you to me. If you be going this way, I shall be glad of your company. If not, I must be content. And Christian said, This town of fair speech, I have heard of it, and as I remember, they say, it's a wealthy place. Yes, said Mr. Byans, I will assure you that it is, and I have very many rich kindred there. Pray, said Christian, who are your kindred there, if a man may be so bold? Almost the whole town, said Mr. Byans, but in particular my lord Turnabout, my lord Time Server, my lord Fairspeech, from whose ancestors that town took its name, also Mr. Smoothman, Mr. Facing Both Ways, Mr. Anything, and the parson of our parish, Mr. Two Tongues, was my mother's own brother by father's side. And to tell you the truth, I am become a gentleman of good quality. Yet my great-grandfather was but a waterman, looking one way and rowing another, and I got most of my estate by the same occupation. Are you married? asked Christian. Yes, and my wife is a very virtuous woman, the daughter of a virtuous woman. She was my lady Feining's daughter, therefore she came of a very honorable family, and is arrived to such a pitch of breeding that she knows how to carry it all, even to prince and peasant. Tis true we somewhat differ in religion from those of the stricter sort, yet but in two small points. First, we never strive against wind and tide. Secondly, we are always most zealous when religion goes in his silver slippers. We love much to walk with him in the street if the sun shines and the people applaud him. Then Christian stepped a little aside to his fellow hopeful, saying, It runs in my mind that this is one by ends of fair speech. And if it be he, we have as very a knave in our company as dwelleth in all these parts. Then said hopeful, Ask him. Methinks he should not be ashamed of his name. So Christian came up with him again and said, Sir, you talk as if you knew something more than all the world does, and if I take not my mark amiss, I deem I have a guess of you. Is not your name Mr. Byans of Fair Speech? This is not my name, said Byans, but indeed it is a nickname that is given me by some that cannot abide me, and I must be content to bear it as a reproach, as other good men have borne theirs before me. And Christian said, but did you never give an occasion to men to call you by this name? Never, never, said Byans. The worst that ever I did to give them an occasion to give me this name was that I had always the luck to jump in my judgment with the present way of the times, whatever it was, and my chance was to get thereby. But if things are thus cast upon me, let me count them a blessing, but let not the malicious load me therefore with reproach. I thought indeed, said Christian, that you were the man that I heard of, and to tell you what I think, I fear this name belongs to you more properly than you are willing we should think it does. Well, said Byans, if you will thus imagine, I cannot help it. You shall find me a fair company keeper, if you still admit me your associate. Then said Christian, if you will go with us, you must go against wind and tide, the which I perceive is against your opinion. You must also own religion in his rags as well as when in his silver slippers.
and stand by him too when bound in irons, as well as when he walketh the streets with applause. Bions, you must not impose or lord it over my faith. Leave it to my liberty, and let me go with you. Not a step farther, said Christian, unless you will do it in what I propound as we. Then said Bions, I will never desert my old principles, since they are harmless and profitable. If I may not go with you, I must do as I did before you overtook me, even go by myself, until some overtake me that will be glad of my company. Now I saw in my dream that Christian and Hopeful forsook him and kept their distance before him. But one of them looking back saw three men following Mr. Byans, and behold, as they came up to him, he made them a very low bow, and they also gave him a compliment. The men's names were Mr. Hold the World, Mr. Moneylove, and Mr. Savall, men that Mr. Byans had been formerly acquainted with, for in their minority they were schoolfellows and taught by one Mr. Greitman, a schoolmaster in Lovegain, which is a market town in the country of Coveting in the north. This schoolmaster taught them the art of getting, either by violence, flattery, lying, or by putting on a guise of religion. And these four gentlemen had attained much of the art of their master, so that they could each of them have kept such a school themselves. Well, when they had, as I said, thus saluted each other, Mr. Moneylove said to Mr. Byans, Who are they upon the road before us? For Christian and Hopeful were yet within view. They are a couple of far countrymen, that, after their mode, are going on pilgrimage. Alas, said Moneylove, why did they not stay, that we might have had their good company? For they, and we, and you, sir, I hope, are all going on pilgrimage. Then said Byans, We are so indeed, but the men before us are so rigid, and love so much their own notions, and do also so lightly esteem the opinions of others, that let a man be ever so godly, yet if he jumps not with them in all things, they thrust him quite out of their company. Then said Mr. Savall, that is bad, but we read of some that are righteous overmuch, and such men's rigidness prevails with them to judge and condemn all but themselves. But I pray, what and how many were the things wherein you differed? Bayan said, Why they, after their headstrong manner, conclude that it is their duty to rush on their journey all weathers, and I am for waiting for wind and tide. They are for hazarding all for God at a clap, and I am for taking all advantages to secure my life and estate. They are for holding their notions, though all other men be against them. But I am for religion in what, and so far as the times and my safety will bear it. They are for religion when in rags and contempt, but I am for him when he walks in his golden slippers and the sunshine and with applause. Then said Mr. Hold the World, I, and hold you there still, good Mr. Byans, for my part, I can count him but a fool, that, having the liberty to keep what he has, shall be so unwise as to lose it. Let us be wise as serpents. It is best to make hay while the sun shines. You see how the bee lieth still all winter, and bestirs her only when she can have profit and pleasure. God sends sometimes rain and sometimes sunshine. If they be such fools to go through the first, yet let us be content to take fair weather along with us. For my part, I like that religion best that will stand with the security of God's good blessings unto us. For who can imagine that is ruled by his reason, 
since God has bestowed upon us the good things of this life, but that he would have us keep them for his sake. Abraham and Solomon grew rich in religion, and Job says that a good man shall lay up gold as dust, but he must not be such as the men before us, if they will be as you have described them. Then said Mr. Saval, I think that we are all agreed in this matter, and therefore there needs no more words about it. Mr. Moneylove said, No, there needs no more words about this matter, indeed, for he that believes neither scripture nor reason, and you see we have both on our side, neither knows his own liberty nor seeks his own safety. My brethren, said Byans, we are, as you see, going all on pilgrimage, and for our better diversion from things that are bad, give me leave to propound unto you this question. Suppose a man, a minister, or a tradesman, etc., should have an advantage lie before him to get the good blessings of this life, yet so as that he can by no means come by them, except, in appearance at least, he becomes extraordinarily zealous in some points of religion that he meddled not with before. May he not use this means to attain his end, and yet be a right honest man? Then said Mr. Moneylove, I see the bottom of your question, and with these gentlemen's good leave I will endeavor to shape you an answer. And first, to speak to your question as it concerns a minister himself. Suppose a minister, a worthy man, possessed of but very small benefice, and has in his eye a greater, more fat, and plump by far, he has also now an opportunity of getting it. Yet so, as by being more studious, by preaching more frequently and zealously, and because the temper of the people requires it, by altering of some of his principles. For my part, I see no reason why a man may not do this, provided he has a call, I, and more a great deal besides, and yet be an honest man. For why? Well, number one, his desire of a greater benefice is lawful. This cannot be contradicted, since it is set before him by providence. So then he may get it if he can, making no question for conscience' sake. Number two, besides, his desire after that benefice makes him more studious, a more zealous preacher, etc., and so makes him a better man. Yea, makes him better improve his parts, which is according to the mind of God. Number three, now, as for his complying with the temper of his people by deserting to serve them some of his principles, this argues first that he is of a self-denying temper, secondly, of a sweet and winning deportment and thirdly, so more fit for the ministerial function. Number four, I conclude then that a minister that changes a small for a great should not, for so doing, be judged as covetous, but rather, since he has improved in his parts and industry thereby, be counted as one that pursues his call and the opportunity put into his hands to do good. And now to the second part of the question, which concerns the tradesman you mentioned. Suppose such a one to have but a poor employee in the world, but by becoming religious he may mend his market, perhaps get a rich wife, or more and far better customers to his shop. For my part, I see no reason but this may be lawfully done. For why? Number one, to become religious is a virtue, by what means soever a man becomes so. Two, nor is it unlawful to get a rich wife, or more custom to my shop. Number three, besides, the man that gets these by becoming religious gets that which is good of them that are good, by becoming good himself. 
So then, here is a good wife, and good customers, and good gain, and, and all these becoming religious, which is good. Therefore, to become religious, to get all, these is good and profitable design. This answer thus made by Mr. Moneylove to Mr. Byen's question was highly applauded by them all. Wherefore, they concluded upon the whole that it was most wholesome and advantageous. And because, as they thought, no man was able to contradict it, and because Christian and Hopeful were yet within call, they jointly agreed to assault them with this question as soon as they overtook them, and the rather because they had opposed Mr. Byans before. So they called after them, and they stopped and stood still till they came up to them. But they concluded as they went that not Mr. Byans, but old Mr. Hold the World should propound the question to them, because, as they supposed, their answer to him would be without the remainder of that heat that was kindled betwixt Mr. Byans and them at their parting just a little before. So they came up to each other, and after a short salutation, Mr. Hold the World propounded the question to Christian and his fellow, and bid them to answer it if they could. Then said Christian, Even a babe in religion may answer ten thousand such questions. For if it be unlawful to follow Christ for loaves, as it is, how much more abominable is it to make of him and religion a stalking horse to get and enjoy the world? Nor do we find any other than heathens, hypocrites, devils, and witches are of this opinion. Number one, heathens. For when Hamor and Sechem had a mind to the daughter and cattle of Jacob, and saw that there was no way for them to come at them but by becoming circumcised, they said to their companions, If every male of us be circumcised as they are circumcised, shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? Their daughter and their cattle were that which they sought to obtain, and their religion the stalking horse they made use of to come at it. Read the whole story. 2. The hypocritical Pharisees were also of this religion. Long prayers were their pretense, but to get widows' houses was their intent, and greater damnation was from God their judgment. 3. Judas the devil was also of this religion. He was religious for the bag, that he might be possessed of what was therein, but he was lost, cast away, and the very son of perdition. 4. Simon the witch was of this religion too, for he would have the Holy Ghost, that he might have got money therewith, and his sentence from Peter's mouth was according. Number 5. Neither will it out of my mind, but that that man who takes up religion for the world will throw away religion for the world. For so surely as Judas resigned the world in his master for the same. To answer the question, therefore, affirmatively, as I perceive you have done, and to accept of as authentic such answer, is heathenish, hypocritical, and devilish, and your reward will be according to your works. Then they stood staring one upon the other, but had not wherewith to answer question. Hopeful also approved of the soundness of Christian's answer, so that there was a great silence among them. Mr. Byans and his company also staggered and kept behind, that Christian and Hopeful might outgo them. Then said Christian to his fellow, If these men cannot stand before the sentence of men, what will they do with the sentence of God? And if they are mute when dealt with by vessels of clay, what will they do when they shall be rebuked by the flames of devouring fire? The ease that pilgrims have is but little in this life. 
Then Christian and Hopeful outwent them again, and went till they came to a delicate plain called Ease, where they went with much content. But that plain was but narrow, so they were quickly got over it. Now at the further side of that plain was a little hill called Lucre, and in that hill a silver mine, which some of them that had formerly gone that way, because of the rarity of it, had turned aside to see. But going too near the brink of the pit, the ground being deceitful under them broke, and they were slain. Some also had been maimed there, and could not to their dying day be their own men again. Then I saw in my dream that a little off the road, over against the silver mine, stood Demas, gentlemanlike, to call to passengers to come and see, who said to Christian and his fellow, Ho, turn aside hither, and I will show you a thing. Christian, what thing so deserving as to turn us out of the way? Here is a silver mine, said Demas, and some digging in it for treasure. If you will come with a little pains, you may richly provide yourselves. Then said Hopeful, Let us go see. Not I, said Christian. I have heard of this place before now, and how many have there been slain, and besides, that treasure is a snare to those that seek it, for it hindereth them in their pilgrimage. Then Christian called to Demas, saying, Is not the place dangerous? Hath it not hindered many in their pilgrimage? Not very dangerous, said Demas, except to those that are careless. But withal he blushed as he spoke. Then said Christian to Hopeful, Let us not stir a step, but still keep on our way. Then said Hopeful, I will warrant you, when Bayans comes up, if he hath the same invitation as we, he will turn in thither to see. No doubt thereof, said Christian, for his principles lead him that way, and a hundred to one, but he dies there. Then Demas called out again, saying, But will you not come over and see? Then Christian roundly answered, saying, Demas, thou art an enemy to the right ways of the Lord of this way, and hast been already condemned for thine own turning aside by one of his majesty's judges. And why seekest thou to bring us into the like condemnation? Besides, if we at all turn aside, our Lord the King will certainly hear thereof, and will put us to shame where we should stand with boldness before him. Demas cried again that he also was one of their fraternity, and that, if they would tarry a little, he also himself would walk with them. Then said Christian, What is thy name? Is it not the same by the which I have called thee? Yes, my name is Demas. I am the son of Abraham. I know you, said Christian. Gehazi was your great-grandfather, and Judas your father, and you have trod in their steps. It is but a devilish prank that thou usest. Thy father was hanged for a traitor, and thou deservest no better reward. Assure thyself that when we come to the king, we will tell him of this thy behavior. Thus they went on their way. By this time Bai-Ins and his companions were come again within sight, and they, at the first beck, went over to Demas. Now whether they fell into the pit by looking over the brink thereof, or whether they went down to dig, or whether they were smothered in the bottom by the damps that commonly arise, of these things I am not certain, but this I observed, that they were never seen again in the way. Then sang Christian, By ends and silver Demas both agree, one calls, the other runs that he may be, a sharer in his lucre, so these two take up in this world, and no farther go. 
Now I saw that just on the other side of the plain the pilgrims came to a place where stood an old monument hard by the highway side, at the sight of which they were both concerned because of the strangeness of the form thereof. For it seemed to them as if it had been a woman transformed into the shape of a pillar. Here therefore they stood looking and looking upon it, but could not for a time tell what they should make thereof. At last hopeful espied written above, upon the head thereof, a writing in an unusual hand. But he, being no scholar, called to Christian, for he was learned, to see if he could pick out the meaning. So he came, and after a little laying of letters together, he found the same to be this, Remember Lot's wife. So he read it to his fellow, after which they both concluded that that was the pillar of salt into which Lot's wife was turned, for her looking back with a covetous heart when she was going from Sodom, which sudden and amazing sight gave him occasion for this discourse. Ah, my brother, said Christian, this is a seasonable sight. It came opportunely to us after the invitation which Demas gave us to come over to view the hill Lucre. And had we gone over, as he desired us, and as thou wast inclining to do, my brother, we had, for aught I know, been made ourselves like this woman, a spectacle for those that shall come after to behold. Then Hopeful said, I am sorry that I was so foolish, and am made to wonder that I am not now as Lot's wife. For wherein was the difference betwixt her sin and mine? She only looked back, and I had a desire to go see. Let grace be adored, and let me be ashamed that ever such a thing should be in mine heart. Then said Christian, Let us take notice of what we see here, for our help for time to come. This woman escaped one judgment, for she fell not by the destruction of Sodom, yet she was destroyed by another, as we see. She is turned into a pillar of salt. Then said Hopeful, True, and she may be to us both caution and example. Caution that we should shun her sin, or a sign of what judgment shall overtake such as shall not be prevented by this caution. So Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, with the two hundred and fifty men that perished in their sin, did also become a sign or example to others to beware. But above all I muse at one thing, to wit, how Demas and his fellows can stand so confidently yonder to look for that treasure which this woman, but for looking behind her away, for we read not that she stepped one foot out of the way, was turned into a pillar of salt, especially since the judgment which overtook her did make her an example within sight of where they are, for they cannot choose but see her, did they but lift up their eyes. Then said Christian, it is a thing to be wondered at, and it argues that their hearts are grown desperate in the case, and I cannot tell who to compare them to so fitly as to them that pick pockets in the presence of the judge, or that will cut purses under the gallows. It is said of the men of Sodom that they were sinners exceedingly, because they were sinners before the Lord, that is, in his eyesight, and notwithstanding the kindnesses that he had showed them, for the land of Sodom was now like the Garden of Eden heretofore. This therefore provoked him the more to jealousy, and made their plague as hot as the fire of the Lord out of heaven could make it. And it is most rationally to be concluded that such, even such as these are, 
that shall sin in the sight, yea, and that too in despite of such examples that are set continually before them to caution them to the contrary, must be partakers of severest judgments. Then said Hopeful, Doubtless thou hast said the truth, but what a mercy is it that neither thou, but especially I, have not made myself this example. This ministers occasion to us to thank God, to fear before him, and always to remember Lot's wife. I saw then that they went on their way to a pleasant river, which David the king called the river of God, but John the river of the water of life. Now their way lay just upon the bank of this river. Here therefore Christian and his companion walked with great delight. They drank also of the water of the river, which was pleasant and enlivening to their weary spirits. Besides, on the banks of this river, on either side were green trees that bore all manner of fruit, and the leaves of the trees were good for medicine. With the fruit of these trees they were also much delighted, and the leaves they ate to prevent surfeits and other diseases that are incident to those that heat their blood by travels. On either side of the river was also a meadow, curiously beautified with lilies, and it was green all the year long. In this meadow they lay down and slept, for here they might lie down safely. When they awoke, they gathered again of the fruit of the trees, and drank again of the water of the river, and they lay down again to sleep. This they did several days and nights. Then they sang, Behold ye how these crystal streams do glide, to comfort pilgrims by the highway side. The meadows green, besides their fragrant smell, yield dainties for them, and he who can tell what pleasant fruit, yea, leaves, these trees do yield, will soon sell all that he may buy this field. So when they were disposed to go on, for they were not as yet at their journey's end, they ate and drank and departed. One temptation does make way for another. Now I beheld in my dream that they had not journeyed far, but the river and the way for a time parted, at which they were not a little sorry. Yet they durst not go out of the way. Now the way from the river was rough, and their feet tender by reason of their travels. So the souls of the pilgrims were much discouraged because of the way. Wherefore still, as they went on, they wished for a better way. Now a little before them there was on the left hand of the road a meadow and a stile to go over into it, and that meadow was called Bypath Meadow. Then said Christian to his fellow, If this meadow lieth along by our wayside, let's go over it. Then he went to the stile to see, and behold, a path lay along by the way on the other side of the fence. It is according to my wish, said Christian, here is the easiest going. Come, good Hopeful, and let us go over. Hopeful said, But how if this path should lead us out of the way? Strong Christians may lead weak ones out of the way. This is not likely, said Christian. Look, does it not go along by the wayside? So Hopeful, being persuaded by his fellow, went after him over the stile. When they were gone over and were got into the path, they found it very easy to their feet, and withal they, looking before them, espied a man walking as they did, and his name was Vain Confidence. So they called after him and asked him whither that way led. He said, To the celestial gate. Look, said Christian, did not I tell you so? By this you may see we are right. So they followed, and he went before them. But, behold, the night came on, and it grew very dark, so that they that were behind lost sight of him that went before. 
He therefore that went before, vain confidence by name, not seeing the way before him, fell into a deep pit, which was on purpose there made by the prince of those grounds, to catch vain glorious fools withal, and was dashed in pieces with his fall. Now Christian and his fellow heard him fall, so they called to know the matter, but there was none to answer, only they heard him groaning. Then said Hopeful, Where are we now? Then was his fellow silent, as mistrusting that he had led him out of the way, and now it began to rain and thunder, and lighten in a most dreadful manner, and the water rose amain. Then Hopeful groaned in himself, saying, Oh, that I had kept on my way. And Christian said, Who could have thought that this path should have led us out of the way? I was afraid of it, said Hopeful at the very first, and therefore gave you that gentle caution. I would have spoken plainer, but that you are older than I. Good brother, be not offended, said Christian. I am sorry I have brought thee out of the way, and that I have put thee into such imminent danger. Pray, my brother, forgive me. I I did not do it of any evil intent. Be comforted, my brother, said Hopeful, for I do forgive thee, and believe too that this shall be for our good. I am glad, said Christian, I have with me a merciful brother, but we must not stand still. Let us try to go back. But good brother, said Hopeful, let me go before. No, if it please you, said Christian, let me go first, that if there be any danger, I may be first therein because by my means we are both gone out of the way. No, said Hopeful, you shall not go first, for your mind, being troubled, may lead you out of the way again. Then for their encouragement they heard the voice of one saying, Let thine heart be toward the highway, even the way that thou wentest, turn again. But by this time the waters were greatly risen, by reason of which the way of going back was very dangerous. Then I thought that it is easier going out of the way when we are in, then going in when we are out. Yet they adventured to go back, but it was so dark and the flood so high that in their going back they had like to have been drowned nine or ten times. Neither could they, with all the skill they had, get again to the stile that night. Wherefore, at last lighting under a little shelter, they sat down there until daybreak. But being weary, they fell asleep. Now there was, not far from the place where they lay, a castle, called Doubting Castle, the owner whereof was Giant Despair, and it was in his grounds that now they were sleeping. Wherefore he, getting up in the morning early, and walking up and down his fields, caught Christian and Hopeful asleep in his grounds. Then with a grim and surly voice he bid them awake, and asked them whence they were, and what they did in his grounds. They told him they were pilgrims, and that they had lost their way. Then said the giant, You have this night trespassed on me by trampling in and lying on my grounds, and therefore you must go along with me. So they were forced to go, because he was stronger than they. They had also but little to say, for they knew themselves in fault. The giant therefore drove them before him and put them into his castle, into a very dark dungeon, nasty and stinking to the spirits of these two men. Here then they lay from Wednesday morning till Saturday night, without one bit of bread, or drop of drink, or light, or any to ask how they did. They were therefore here in an evil case, and were far from friends and acquaintances. Now in this place Christian had double sorrow, because it was through his unadvised haste that they were brought into this distress. Now giant despair had a wife, and her name was Diffidence. 
So, when he was gone to bed, he told his wife what he had done, to wit that he had taken a couple of prisoners and cast them into his dungeon for trespassing on his grounds. Then he asked her also what he had best to do further to them. So she asked him what they were, whence they came, and whither they were bound, and he told her. Then she counseled him that when he arose in the morning, he should beat them without any mercy. So when he arose, he gathered up a grievous cramped tree stick, and goes down into the dungeon to them, and there first fell to ratting of them as if they were dogs, although they never gave him a word of distaste. Then he falls upon them and beats them fearfully in such a sort that they were not able to help themselves or to turn them about upon the floor. This done, he withdraws and leaves them there to condole their misery and to mourn under their distress. So all that day they spent their time in nothing but sighs and bitter lamentations. The next night she, talking with her husband about them further, and understanding that they were yet alive, did advise him to counsel them to make away with themselves. So when the morning was come, he goes to them in a surly manner, as before, and perceiving them to be very sore with the stripes that he had given them the day before, he told them that, since they were never like to come out of that place, their only way would be forthwith to make an end of themselves, either with knife, halter, or poison. For why, said he, should you choose life, seeing it is attended with so much bitterness? But they desired him to let them go. With that he looked ugly upon them, and rushing to them had doubtless made an end of them himself, but he fell into one of his fits, for he sometimes in sunshiny weather fell into fits, and lost for a time the use of his hand, wherefore he withdrew, and left them as before to consider what to do. Then did the prisoners consult between themselves whether it was best to take his counsel or no, and thus they began to discourse. Brother, said Christian, what shall we do? The life we now live is miserable. For my part, I know not whether it is best to live thus or to die out of hand. My soul chooses strangling rather than life, and the grave is more easy for me than this dungeon. Shall we be ruled by the giant? Indeed, said Hopeful, our present condition is dreadful, and death would be far more welcome to me than thus forever to abide. But yet let us consider. The Lord of the country to which we are going hath said, Thou shalt do no murder. No, not to another man's person, and much more then are we forbidden to take his counsel to kill ourselves. Besides, he that kills another can but commit murder upon his body, but for one to kill himself is to kill body and soul at once. And moreover, my brother, thou talkest of ease in the grave, but hast thou forgotten the hell whither for certain the murderers go? For no murderer hath eternal life, etc., and let us consider again that all the law is not in the hand of giant despair. Others, so far as I can understand, have been taken by him as well as we, and yet have escaped out of his hand. Who knows but that God, who made the world, may cause that giant despair may die, or that at some time or other he may forget to lock us in, or that he may, in a short time, have another of his fits before us, and he may lose the use of his limbs. And if ever that should come to pass again, for my part I am resolved to pluck up the heart of a man, and to try my utmost to get from under his hand. I was a fool that I did not try to do it before. But, however, my brother, let us be patient and endure a while. The time may come that may give us a happy release, but let us not be our own murders. 
With these words, Hopeful at present did moderate the mind of his brother. So they continued together in the dark that day, in their sad and doleful condition. Well, toward evening the giant goes down into the dungeon again to see if his prisoners had taken his counsel. But when he came there he found them alive, and truly alive was all. For now, what for want of bread and water, and by reason of the wounds they received when he beat them, they could do little but breathe. But I say he found them alive, at which he fell into a grievous rage, and told them that seeing they had disobeyed his counsel, it should be worse with them than if they had never been born. At this they trembled greatly, and I think that Christian fell into a swoon. But coming a little to himself again, they renewed their discourse about the giant's counsel, and whether they had best to take it or no. Now Christian again seemed for doing it, but Hopeful made his second reply as follows. My brother, said he, rememberst thou not how valiant thou hast been heretofore? Apollyon could not crush thee, nor could all that thou didst hear or see or feel in the valley of the shadow of death. What hardship, terror, and amazement hast thou already gone through, and art thou now nothing but fear? Thou seest that I am in the dungeon with thee, a far weaker man by nature than thou art. Also this giant has wounded me as well as thee, and hath also cut off the bread and water from my mouth with thee, I mourn without the light. And let us exercise a little more patience. Remember how thou playedest the man at Vanity Fair, and wast never afraid of the chain, nor cage, nor yet of bloody death. Wherefore let us, at least to avoid the shame that it becomes not a Christian to be found in, bear up with patience as well as we can. Now night being come again, and the giant and his wife being in bed, she asked him concerning the prisoners, and if they had taken his counsel, to which he replied, They are sturdy rogues. They choose rather to bear all hardship than to make away with themselves. Then said she, Take them into the castle yard tomorrow, and show them the bones and skulls of those that thou hast already dispatched, and make them believe, ere a week comes to an end, thou wilt tear them also in pieces, as thou hast done their fellows before them. So when the morning was come, the giant goes to them again, and takes them into the castle yard, and shows them as his wife had bidden him. These, said he, were pilgrims, as you are, once, and they trespassed in my grounds as you have done, and when I thought fit I tore them in pieces, and so within ten days I will do to you. Go, get you down to your den again. And with that he beat them all the way thither. They lay, therefore, all day, on Saturday, in a lamentable case as before. Now when night was come, and when Mrs. Diffidence and her husband, the giant, were got to bed, they began to renew their discourse of the prisoners. And withal, the old giant wondered that he could neither by his blows nor counsel bring them to an end. And with that his wife replied, I fear, said she, that they live in hope that some will come to relieve them, or that they have picklocks about them, by the means of which they hope to escape. And sayest thou so, my dear, said the giant, I will therefore search them in the morning. Well, on Saturday about midnight they began to pray, and continued in prayer till almost break of day. Now a little before it was day, good Christian, as one half amazed, break out into this passionate speech. What a fool, said he, am I to lie in the stinking dungeon, when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise, that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in doubting castle. Then said Hopeful, that is good news. 
good brother, pluck it out of thy bosom and try. Then Christian pulled it out of his bosom and began to try at the dungeon door, whose bolt, as he turned the key, gave back, and the door flew open with ease. And Christian and Hopeful both came out. Then he went to the outward door that leads into the castle yard, and with his key opened that door also. After he went to the iron gate, for that must too be opened. But that lock went damnable hard, and yet the key did open it. Then they thrust open the gate to make their escape with speed, but that gate, as it opened, made such a creaking that it waked giant despair, who hastily rising to pursue his prisoners felt his limbs to fail, for his fits took him again, so that he could by no means go after them. Then they went on and came to the king's highway again, and so were safe because they were out of his jurisdiction. Now when they were gone over the stile, they began to contrive with themselves what they should do at that stile to prevent those that should come after from falling into the hands of giant despair. So they consented to erect there a pillar, and to engrave upon the side thereof this sentence, Over this stile is the way to Downing Castle, which is kept by giant despair, who despises the king of the celestial country, and seeks to destroy his holy pilgrims. Many, therefore, that followed after, read what was written, and escaped the danger. This done, they sang as follows, Out of the way we went, and then we found, what t'was to tread upon forbidden ground, and let them that come after have a care, lest heedless make them as we to fare, lest they for trespassing his prisoners are, whose castles doubting, and whose names despair. Chapter 8 they went till they came to the delectable mountains, which mountains belong to the Lord of that hill of which we have spoken before. So they went up to the mountains to behold the gardens and orchards, the vineyards and fountains of water, where also they drank and washed themselves, and did freely eat of the vineyards. Now there were on the tops of these mountains shepherds feeding their flocks, and they stood by the highway side. The pilgrims therefore went to them, and leaning upon their staves, as is common with weary pilgrims when they stand to talk with any by the way, they asked, Whose delectable mountains are these, and whose be the sheep that feed upon them? These mountains are Emmanuel's land, said the shepherd, and they are within sight of his city, and the sheep also are his, and he laid down his life for them. Is this the way to the celestial city? asked Christian. You are just in your way, replied the shepherd. How far is it thither? said Christian. The shepherd replied, Too far for any but those who shall get thither indeed. Is the way safe or dangerous? asked Christian. The shepherd said, Safe for those for whom it is to be safe, but transgressors shall fall therein. Is there in this place any relief for pilgrims that are weary and faint in the way? asked Christian. The Lord of these hills, replied the shepherd, hath given us a charge not to be forgetful to entertain strangers. Therefore the good of the place is before you. I saw also in my dream that when the shepherds perceived that they were wayfaring men, they also put questions to them, to which they made answer as in other places, as, Whence came you, and how got you into the way? And, By what means have you so persevered therein? For but few of them that begin to come hither do show their faces on these mountains. But when the shepherds heard their answers, being pleased therewith, they looked very lovingly upon them and said, Welcome to the delectable mountains. The shepherds, I say, whose names were knowledge, experience, watchful, and sincere, took them by the hand and had them to their tents, and made them partake of what was ready at present, 
They said, Moreover, we would that you should stay here a while to be acquainted with us and yet more to solace yourselves with the good of these delectable mountains. They then told them that they were content to stay, so they went to rest that night because it was very late. Then I saw in my dream that in the morning the shepherds called up Christian and Hopeful to walk with them upon the mountains. So they went forth with them and walked a while having a pleasant prospect on every side. Then said the shepherds one to another, Shall we show these pilgrims some wonders? So when they had concluded to do it, they had them first to the top of the hill called Error, which was very steep on the farthest side, and bid them look down to the bottom. So Christian and Hopeful looked down and saw at the bottom several men dashed all to pieces by a fall they had had from the top. Then said Christian, What meaneth this? Then the shepherds answered, Have you not heard of them that were made to err by hearkening to Hymenaeus and Philetus as concerning the faith of the resurrection of the body? They answered, Yes. Then said the shepherds, Those you see lie dashed to pieces at the bottom of this mountain are they, and they have continued to this day unburied, as you see, for an example to others to take heed how they clamber too high or how they come too near the brink of this mountain. Then I saw that they had them to the top of another mountain, and the name of that is Caution, and bid them look afar off. And when they did, they perceived, as they thought, several men walking up and down among the tombs that were there. And they perceived that the men were blind, because they stumbled sometimes upon the tombs, and because they could not get out from among them. Then said Christian, What means this? The shepherds then answered, Did you not see a little below these mountains a stile that led into a meadow on the left-hand side of the way? They answered, Yes. Then said the shepherds, From that stile there goes a path that leads directly to Doubting Castle, which is kept by giant despair. And these men, pointing to them among the tombs, came once on pilgrimage, as you do now, even until they came to that same stile. And because the right way was rough in that place, they chose to go out of it into that meadow, and there were taken by giant despair, and cast into Doubting Castle, where after they had been kept a while in the dungeon, he at last did put out their eyes, and led them among these tombs, where he has left them to wander to this very day, that the saying of the wise man might be fulfilled, He that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Then Christian and Hopeful looked upon one another with tears gushing out, but yet said nothing to the shepherds. Then I saw in my dream that the shepherds had them to another place in a bottom, where was a door on the side of a hill, and they opened the door and bid them look in. They looked in therefore and saw that within it was very dark and smoky. They also thought that they heard there a rumbling noise as of fire and a cry of some tormented, and that they smelt the scent of brimstone. Then said Christian, What means this? The shepherds told them, This is a byway to hell, a way that hypocrites go in at, namely such as sell their birthright with Esau, such as sell their master with Judas, such as blaspheme the gospel with Alexander, and that lie and dissemble with Ananias and Sapphira his wife. Then said Hopeful to the shepherds, I perceive that these had on them, even every one, a show of pilgrimage, as we have now, had they not? Yes, said the shepherd, and held it a long time, too. How far might they go on in pilgrimage in their day, said Hopeful, since they, notwithstanding, were thus miserably cast away? Some farther, said the shepherd, 
and some not so far as these mountains. Then said the pilgrims one to another, We have need to cry to the strong for strength. I said the shepherd, And you will have need to use it when you have it, too. By this time the pilgrims had a desire to go forward, and the shepherds a desire they should. So they walked together towards the end of the mountains. Then said the shepherds one to another, Let us here show to the pilgrims the gate of the celestial city, if they have skill to look through our perspective glass. The pilgrims then lovingly accepted the motion, so they had them to the top of a high hill called Clear, and gave them their glass to look. Then they essayed to look, but the remembrance of that last thing that the shepherds had showed them made their hands shake, by means of which impediment they could not look steadily through the glass. Yet they thought they saw something like the gate, and also some of the glory of the place. Thus they went away and sang this song. Thus by the shepherds secrets are revealed, which from all other men are kept concealed. Come to the shepherds then, if you would see, things deep, things hid, and that mysterious be. When they were about to depart, one of the shepherds gave them a note of the way, and another of them bid them beware of the flatterer. The third bid them take heed that they slept not upon the enchanted ground, and the fourth bid them Godspeed. So I awoke from my dream. Chapter 9 And I slept and dreamed again, and saw the same two pilgrims going down the mountains along the highway toward the city. Now a little below these mountains, on the left hand, lieth the country of conceit, from which country there comes into the way in which the pilgrims walked a little crooked lane. Here, therefore, they met with a very brisk lad that came out of that country, and his name was Ignorance. So Christian asked him from what parts he came and whither he was going. Sir, said Ignorance, I was born in the country that lieth off there a little on the left hand, and I am going to the celestial city. But how do you think to get in at the gate, asked Christian, for you may find some difficulty there. As other people do, said Ignorance. But what have you to show at the gate, asked Christian, that may cause that the gate should be opened to you? I know my Lord's will, said Ignorance, and have been a good liver. I pay every man his own, I pray, fast, pay tithes, and give alms, and have left my country for whither I am going. Christian said, But thou camest not in at the wicked gate that is at the head of this way. Thou camest in hither through that same crooked lane, and therefore I fear... However thou mayest think of thyself, when the reckoning day shall come, thou wilt have laid to thy charge that thou art a thief and a robber, instead of getting admittance into the city. Gentlemen, said Ignorance, ye be utter strangers to me. I know you not. Be content to follow the religion of your country, and I will follow the religion of mine. I hope all will be well. And as for the gate that you talk of, all the world knows that that is a great way off from our country. I cannot think that any man in all our parts doth so much as know the way to it, nor need they matter whether they do or no, since we have, as you see, a fine pleasant green lane that comes down from our country the next way into the way. When Christian saw that the man was wise in his own conceit, he said to Hopeful, whisperingly, There is more hope of a fool than of him, and said moreover, When he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to every one that he is a fool. What, shall we talk further with him, or outgo him at present, and so leave him to think of what he hath already heard, and then stop again for him afterwards, and see if by degrees we can do any good to him? 
then said Hopeful, Let ignorance a little while now muse on what is said, and let him not refuse good counsel to embrace, lest he remain still ignorant of what's the chiefest gain. God saith, Those that no understanding have, although he made them, them he will not save. He further added, It is not good, I think, to say all to him at once. Let us pass him by, if you will, and talk to him anon, even as he is able to bear it. So they both went on, and ignorance he came after. Now when they had passed him a little way, they entered into a very dark lane, where they met a man whom seven devils had bound with seven strong cords, and were carrying of him back to the door that they saw on the side of the hill. Now good Christian began to tremble, and so did Hopeful, his companion. Yet as the devils led away the man, Christian looked to see if he knew him, and he thought it might be one turnaway that dwelt in the town of apostasy. But he did not perfectly see his face, for he did hang his head like a thief that is found. But being gone past, Hopeful looked after him, and espied on his back a paper with this inscription, Wanton Professor and Damnable Apostate. Then said Christian to his fellow, Now I call to remembrance that which was told of a thing that happened to a good man hereabout. The name of that man was Little Faith, but a good man, and he dwelt in the town of Sincere. The thing was this. At the entering in at this passage, there comes down from Broadway Gate a lane called Dead Man's Lane, so called because of the murders that are commonly done there. And this Little Faith, going on pilgrimage as we do now, chanced to sit down there and slept. Now there happened at that time to come down that lane from Broadway Gate three sturdy rogues, and their names were Faint Heart, Mistrust, and Guilt, three brothers. And they, espying Little Faith where he was, came galloping up with speed. Now the good man was just awakened from his sleep and was getting up to go on his journey. So they came up all to him and with threatening language bid him stand. At this Little Faith looked as white as a clout and had neither power to fight nor fly. Then said Faint Heart, Deliver thy purse. But he, making no haste to do it, for he was loath to lose his money, mistrust ran up to him, and thrusting his hand into his pocket, pulled out thence a bag of silver. Then he cried out, Thieves! Thieves! And with that, guilt with a great club that was in his hand, struck little Faith on the head, and with that blow felled him flat to the ground, where he lay bleeding as one that would bleed to death. All this while the thieves stood by, but at last they, hearing that some were upon the road, and fearing lest it should be one great grace that dwells in the city of good confidence, they betook themselves to their heels and left this good man to shift for himself. Now after a little while, little Faith came to himself and getting up, made shift to scramble on his way. This was the story. And then Hopeful asked, But did they take from him all that ever he had? No, said Christian, the place where his jewels were they never ransacked. So those he kept still. But as I was told, the good man was much afflicted for his loss, for the thieves got most of his spending money. That which they got not, as I said, were jewels. Also he had a little odd money left, but scarce enough to bring him to his journey's end. Nay, if I was not misinformed, he was forced to beg as he went, to keep himself alive. For his jewels he might not sell. But beg and do what he could, he went, as we say, with many a hungry belly, the most part of the way of the rest. Then said Hopeful, But is it not a wonder that they got not from him his certificate, 
by which he was to receive admission at the celestial gate? It is a wonder, said Christian, but they got not that, though they missed it not through any good cunning of his. For he, being dismayed by their coming upon him, had neither power nor skill to hide anything. So it was more by good providence than by his endeavor that they missed of that good thing. Then said Hopeful, But it must needs be a comfort to him that they got not his jewels from him. And said Christian, It might have been great comfort to him had he used it as he should. But they that told me the story said that he made but little use of it all the rest of the way, and that because of the dismay that he had in their taking away his money. Indeed, he forgot it a great part of the rest of his journey, and besides, when at any time it came into his mind, he began to be comforted therewith, then would fresh thoughts of his loss come again upon him, and those thoughts would swallow up all. Alas, poor man, said Hopeful, this could not but be a great grief unto him. Grief, I, a grief indeed, said Christian. Would it not have been so to any of us, had we been used as he, to be robbed and wounded too, and that in a strange place as he was? It is a wonder he did not die with grief, poor heart. I was told that he scattered almost all the rest of the way with nothing but doleful and bitter complaints, telling also to all that overtook him, or that he overtook in the way as he went, where he was robbed, and how, who they were that did it, and what he had lost, how he was wounded, and that he hardly escaped with life. Hopeful said, But it is a wonder that his necessities did not put him upon selling or pawning some of his jewels, that he might have wherewith to relieve himself in his journey. Thou talkest like one upon whose head is the shell to this very day, said Christian. For what should he pawn them, or to whom should he sell them? In all that country where he was robbed, his jewels were not accounted of, nor did he want that relief which could from thence be administered to him. Besides, had his jewels been missing at the gate of the celestial city, he had, and that he knew well enough, been excluded from his inheritance there, and that would have been worse to him than the appearance and villainy of ten thousand thieves. Why art thou so tart, my brother, said Hopeful? Esau sold his birthright, and that for a mess of pottage, and that birthright was his greatest jewel, and if he, why might not little faith do so too? Esau, said Christian, did sell his birthright indeed, and so do many besides, and by so doing exclude themselves from the chief blessing, as also that caddis did. But you must put a difference betwixt Esau and little faith, and also betwixt their estates. Esau's birthright was typical, but little faith's jewels were not so. Esau's belly was his god, but little faith's belly was not so. Esau's want lay in his fleshly appetites. Little faith did not so. Besides, Esau could see no further than to the fulfilling of his lusts. For I am at the point to die, said he, and what good will this birthright do me? But little faith, though it was his lot to have but little faith, was by his little faith kept from such extravagances, and made to see and prize his jewels more than to sell them, as Esau did his birthright. You read not anywhere that Esau had faith, no, not so much as a little. Therefore no marvel if, where the flesh only bears sway, as it will in that man where no faith is to resist, he sells his birthright and his soul and all, and that to the devil of hell. For it is with such as it is with the ass, who in her occasions cannot be turned away. 
When their minds are set upon their lusts, they will have them, whatever the cost. But little faith was of another temper. His mind was on things divine. His livelihood was upon things that were spiritual and from above. Therefore, to what end should he that is of such a temper sell his jewels, had there been any that would have bought them, to fill his mind with empty things? Will a man give a penny to fill his belly with hay? Or can you persuade the turtle dove to live upon carrion like a crow? Though faithless ones can, for carnal lusts, pawn or mortgage, or sell what they have, and themselves outright to boot, yet they that have faith, saving faith, though but a little of it, cannot do so. Here, therefore, my brother, is thy mistake. I acknowledge it, said Hopeful, but yet your severe reflection had almost made me angry. Christian said, Why, I did but compare thee to some of the birds that are of the brisker sort, who will run to and fro in untrodden paths with the shell upon their heads. But pass by that and consider the matter under debate, and all shall be well betwixt thee and me. Hopeful Swaggers Hopeful said, But Christian, these three fellows, I am persuaded in my heart, are but a company of cowards. Would they have run else, think you, as they did at the noise of one that was coming on the road? Why did not Little Faith pluck up a greater heart? He might, methinks, have stood one brush with them and have yielded when there had been no remedy. No great heart for God where there is but Little Faith. Then said Christian, That they are cowards many have said, but few have found it so in the time of trial. As for a great heart, little faith had none. And I perceive by thee, my brother, hadst thou been the man concerned, thou art but for a brush, and then to yield. And verily, since this is the height of thy stomach, now they are at a distance from us, should they appear to thee as they did to him, they might put thee to second thoughts. But consider again, they are but journeymen thieves. They serve under the king of the bottomless pit who, if need be, will come into their aid himself, and his voice is as the roaring of a lion. I myself have been engaged as this little faith was, and I found it a terrible thing. These three villains set upon me, and I beginning like a Christian to resist, they gave but a call, and in came their master. I would, as the saying is, have given my life for a penny, but that, as God would have it, I was clothed with armor of proof. I, and yet, though I was so harnessed, I found it hard work to quit myself like a man. No man can tell what in that combat attends us, but he that hath been in the battle himself. Well, but they ran, you see, said Hopeful, when they did but suppose that great grace was in the way. True, said Christian, they have often fled, both they and their master, when great grace hath but appeared, and no marvel, for he is the king's champion." But I think you will put some difference between Little Faith and the king's champion. All the king's subjects are not his champions, nor can they, when tried, do such feats of war as he. Is it me to think that a little child should handle Goliath as David did? Or that there should be the strength of an ox in a wren? Some are strong, some are weak, some have great faith, some have little. This man was one of the weak, and therefore he went to the wall. Then said Hopeful, I would it had been great grace for their sakes. If it had been, he said, Christian, he might have had his hands full. For I must tell you that though great grace is excellent good at his weapons, and has and can, so long as he keeps them at sword's point, do well enough with them, yet if they get within him even faint heart, mistrust, or the other, 
It shall go hard, but they will throw up his heels. And when a man is down, you know, what can he do? Whoso looks well upon great grace's face will see those scars and cuts there that shall easily give demonstration of what I say. Yea, once I heard that he should say, and that when he was in combat, we despaired even of life. How did these sturdy rogues and their fellows make David groan, mourn, and roar? Yea, Haman and Hezekiah too, though champions in their days, were forced to bestir when by these assaulted. And yet, notwithstanding, they had their coats soundly brushed by them. Peter upon a time would go try what he could do, but though some do say of him that he is the prince of the apostles, they handled him so that they made him at last afraid of a sorry girl. Besides, their king is at their whistle, he is never out of hearing, and if at any time they should be put to the worst, he, if possible, comes in to help them. And of him it is said, The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold, the spear, the dart, nor the havergun. He esteemeth iron as straw, and brass as rotted wood. The, the arrow cannot make him flee, sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble, he laugheth at the shaking of a spear. What can a man do in this case? It is true if a man could at every turn have Job's horse, and had skill and courage to ride him, he might do notable things. For his neck is clothed with thunder. He will not be afraid as the grasshopper. The, gl the glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley, and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear, and is not affrighted. Neither turneth he his back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him, the glittering spear and the shield. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, Ha! Ha! And he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains, and the shouting. But for such footmen as thee and I are, let us never desire to meet with an enemy, nor vaunt as if we could do better, when we hear of others that have been foiled, nor be tickled at the thoughts of our manhood, for such commonly come by the worst when tried. Witness Peter, of whom I made mention before, he would swagger, ay, he would, he would, as his vain mind prompted him to say, do better and stand more for his master than all men, but who so foiled and run down by those villains as he? When therefore we hear that such robberies are done on the king's highway, two things become us to do. First, to go out harnessed, and to be sure to take a shield with us. For it was for want of that that he that laid so lustily at Leviathan could not make him yield. For indeed, if that be wanting, he fears us not at all. Therefore he that hath skill said, Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Secondly, it is good also that we desire of the king a convoy, yea, that he will go with us himself. This made David rejoice in the valley of the shadow of death, and Moses was rather for dying where he stood than to go one step without his God. O my brother, if he will not but go along with us, what need we be afraid of ten thousands that shall set themselves against us? But without him the proud helpers fall under the slain. I, for my part, have been in the fray before now, and though, through the goodness of him that is best, I am, as you see, alive, yet I cannot boast of my manhood. Glad shall I be if I meet with no more such brunts, though I fear we are not got beyond all danger. 
However, since the lion and the bear have not as yet devoured me, I hope God will also deliver us from the next uncircumcised Philistine. Then sang Christian, Poor little faith hast been among the thieves, wast robbed. Remember this, whoso believes and gets more faith shall then a victor be over ten thousand, else scarce over three. So they went on, and ignorance followed. They went then till they came at a place where they saw a way put itself into their way, and seemed withal to lie as straight as the way which they should go. And here they knew not which of the two to take, for both seemed straight before them. Therefore here they stood still to consider. And as they were thinking about the way, behold, a man, black of flesh, but covered with a very light robe, came to them and asked them why they stood there. They answered they were going to the celestial city, but knew not which of these ways to take. Follow me, said the man, it is thither that I am going. So they followed him to the way that but now came into the road, which by degrees turned and turned them, so that from the city that they desired to go to, that in a little time their faces were turned away from it. Yet they followed him. But by and by before they were aware, he led them both within the compass of a net, in which they were both so entangled that they knew not what to do, and with that the white robe fell off the black man's back. Then they saw where they were. Wherefore, there they lay crying some time, for they could not get themselves out. Then said Christian to his fellow, Now do I see myself in an error. Did not the shepherds bid us beware of flatters? As is the saying of the wise man, So we have found it this day. A man that flattereth his neighbors spreadeth a net at his feet. Then said Hopeful, They also gave us a note of directions about the way, for our more sure finding thereof. But therein we have also forgotten to read, and have not kept ourselves from the paths of the destroyer. Here David was wiser than we, for he saith, Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Thus they lay bewailing themselves in the net. At last they espied a shining one coming towards them with a whip of small cord in his hand. When he was come to the place where they were, he asked them whence they came and what they did there. They told him that they were poor pilgrims going to Zion, but were led out of their way by a black man clothed in white. Who bid us, said they, follow him, for he was going thither too. Then said he with the whip, It is flatterer, a false prophet, that hath transformed himself into an angel of light. So he rent the net and let the men out. Then said he to them, Follow me, that I may set you in your way again. So he led them back to the way which they had left to follow the flatterer. Then he asked them, saying, Where did you lie the last night? They said, With the shepherds upon the delectable mountains. He asked them then if they had not of those shepherds a note of direction for the way. They answered, Yes. But did you not, said he, when you were at a stand, pluck out and read your note? They answered, No. He asked them why, and they said they had forgotten. He asked them, moreover, if the shepherds did not bid them beware of the flatterer. They answered, Yes, but we did not imagine, said they, that this fine-spoken man had been he. Then I saw in my dream that he commanded them to lie down, which when they did, he chastised them sore to teach them the good way wherein they should walk. And as he chastised them, he said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent." 
This done, he bid them go on their way and take good heed to the other directions of the shepherds. So they thanked him for all his kindness and went softly along the right way, singing, Come hither, you that walk along the way, see how the pilgrims fare that go astray. They catched are in an entangling net, cause they good counsel lightly did forget. Tis true they rescued were, but yet you see, their scourge to boot. Let this your caution be. Now after a while they perceived afar off, one coming softly and alone, all along the highway to meet them. Then said Christian to his fellow, Yonder is a man with his back toward Zion, and he is coming to meet us. I see him, said Hopeful. Let us take heed to ourselves, lest he should prove a flatterer also. So he drew nearer and nearer, and at last came up to them. His name was Atheist, and he asked them whither they were going. We are going to Mount Zion. Then Atheist fell into a very great laughter. What is the meaning of your laughter? asked Christian. I laugh to see what ignorant persons you are, to take upon yourselves so tedious a journey, and yet are like to have nothing but your travel for your pains. Why, man, said Christian, do you think we shall not be received? Received, said Atheist, there is no such a place as you dream of in all this world. But there is in the world to come, said Christian. When I was at home in mine own country, said Atheist, I heard as you now affirm, and from that hearing went out to sea, and have been seeking this city these twenty years, but find no more of it than I did the first day I set out. Then said Christian, We have both heard and believe that there is such a place to be found. Then Atheist said, Had not I when at home believed, I had not come thus far to seek. But finding none, and yet I should had there been such a place to be found, for I have gone to seek it further than you, I am going back again, and will seek to refresh myself with the things that I then cast away, for hopes of that which I now see is not. Then said Christian to Hopeful his fellow, Is it true which this man hath said? A remembrance of former chastisement is a help against present temptation. Then said Hopeful, Take heed, he is one of the flatterers. Remember what it hath cost us once already for hearkening to such kind of fellows. What, no Mount Zion? Did we not see from the delectable mountains the gate of the city? Also are we not now to walk by faith? Let us go on, lest the man with the whip overtake us again. You should have taught me that lesson, which I will round you in the ears withal. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causes to err from the words of knowledge. I say, my brother, cease to hear him, and let us believe to the saving of the soul. My brother, said Christian, I did not put the question to thee for that I doubted of the truth of our belief myself, but to prove thee and to fetch from thee a fruit of the honesty of thy heart. As for this man, I know that he is blinded by the God of this world. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb 
at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.